And one sort of big drama a day on Capitol Hill is like the kind of story that would be a year-long story 15, 20 years ago. It is just the incoming of chaos and dysfunction is really unprecedented and it's really starting to alarm a lot of people in Washington. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Ben Landy. It's Tuesday, February 20th. Today, Peter Hamby talks to Abby Livingston about the worsening dysfunction on Capitol Hill and the growing exodus of Republican retirements. And later, I talk to fashion business insider Lauren Sherman about the latest chatter from New York Fashion Week and what everyone in industry is saying about Zach Posen's surprising appointment at Gap. All that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I hope you enjoyed President's Day weekend. I'm joined today by Abby Livingston to talk politics, talk Capitol Hill, just the ever increasingly sour nature of existing on Capitol Hill, which is, Abby, that's your favorite beat at this point, isn't it? It is a dark, dark time at the United States Capitol and in the way Congress functions. And I think what has just become extraordinary with maybe the exception of like, Thanksgiving to Christmas, almost every day that the House is in session since Labor Day has been worse than the day before. And it has just, I, I, what I just think is important for your listeners to real or just process is like one day and one sort of big drama a day on Capitol Hill is like the kind of story that would be a year long story 15, 20 years ago. It is just the incoming of chaos and dysfunction is really unprecedented and it's really starting to alarm a lot of people in Washington. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I I didn't cover the Hill like you did, but you know, having been in Washington in the sort of Obama years, I think you're totally right. So one thing you wrote recently is, is this, quote, the dysfunction of the last few weeks has underscored the pointlessness of engaging in ambitious legislating. The only Republicans who seem to be enjoying their jobs are the ones addicted to social media. Quote, it's like when you're at a party and everyone's doing blow and you don't do blow, a Republican consultant told me. Are you going to stick around? No. Sounds like this Republican consultant was hanging out with Madison Cawthorn uh, at some point. Um, I don't believe so. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Uh, Good quote, though, Republican consultant. We love a good background quote like that. What's like an example of like ambitious legislating that just there's no room for at this point? I mean, I I guess a good example would be the the border bill and the border security bill. I mean, like just that's like a great example of something that would have been a titanic piece of legislation that would be remembered for a very long time that very serious senators worked on. And then, you know, it just goes to the House and it's like lights off. Sorry, we're not doing this. Just crazy. And like, it does seem like the Tea Party era GOP, as chaotic as they were, that's a bill they would have passed because they would have scored points against Barack Obama. It, it wasn't even that it didn't pass. I don't know if that many people rationally going into that week thought it would pass. Um, uh-huh. They thought it might pass the Senate, but not the House, but that it was killed so quickly in a matter of hours is what astonished people. The, my phone conversations changed almost hour to hour over the trajectory of that bill. But I just think it's like part of the larger point. If you're not there to get on social media, why are you there? I I mean, that there really is just becoming less and less of a path, especially on the House side 
of doing anything. And it just seems like hell is breaking loose all over the House Republican conference behind closed doors. Why do you think this is happening? Like what and like why every time you come on this podcast, do we continue to talk about this worsening situation? Like, can you point to something? Is it just the creep of MAGA and their power in in the House Republican caucus? Is it social media? Like what's been changing in the last year or two? I think it's been building in this direction, but I think it's a combination of the new class. I, I, what, I think it's several cycles of retirements have happened. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people from the Bush era type members of Congress have faded out. And so what was once a handful of rabble rousers is now a critical mass. And I think most people who follow House Republican politics think that you are going to be an outlier next term if you come to Congress wanting to pass bills and be a pragmatist and, you know, uh, and not be about social media. I mean, I think that's the, that is what has changed in the last few weeks is that realization that things aren't great right now in the House Republican conference, but they're probably going to be a lot more dysfunctional uh, in two years or in a year. One of the biggest tells on this is last week, Mike Gallagher, the chairman of the House Select Committee on China, said he's not going to seek re-election. Mike Gallagher obviously crossed party lines in that vote against Alejandro Mayorkas, the impeachment vote, and sided with Democrats. But uh, upon leaving, he said, quote, electoral politics was never supposed to be a career, and trust me, Congress is no place to grow old. Mike Gallagher's 39, and the Select Committee on China, it's not like appropriations, but if you're a chairman, you could stay in Congress and grow old. At least that's how it used to be. And that's on top of uh, appropriations chair Kay Granger from your home state, financial services chair Patrick McHenry, he of the bow tie, and Kathy McMorris Rogers, who again we both covered during that Tea Party era. She's retiring and the chairman of the Energy and Commerce Committee. I mean, four committee chairmen retiring this cycle is unheard of. And it's like, I'd rather go home, I'd rather work on K Street. I'd rather be a quote unquote partner at a law firm and make a lot of money and not have to deal with the fact that nothing gets done and we have to hang out with some lunatics half the time. Well, we're actually at five committee chairs hanging it up. It is. Oh. So not all retirements are the same. So when you're a House committee chairman on the Republican side, you only get to serve for six years at the top of the committee and then you have to hand over to someone coming up behind you. Kay Granger and Mm. Patrick McHenry were expected to retire for that reason. But Kathy mm-hmm. McMorris Rogers, Mike Gallagher, Mark Green, these people had lots of opportunity ahead of them in Congress, and they just decided, I would rather not come back. You can read two things into that, and I think both can be true, um, but not in every single case. I think, number one, it's not fun for these people, as we've described for the last few minutes. But additionally, this could be an early signal that some of these people may think that the House is going to flip to the Democrats. And as bad as it is right now to be in the majority, it's always less fun to be in the minority. And so that is why there's just sort of a a snowballing effect. And on top of that, going forward, I think we're entering into a dimension where people, Republicans who weren't even thinking about retiring are looking around and saying, you know, I'm going to be an outlier next year. I'm going to be isolated. Maybe I should go. Now, it'll start to trickle down as candidates have their deadlines to file for reelection. And that's staggered throughout the spring. But I don't think anybody thinks these retirements are over. Yeah, I mean, typically you would read into that as they see the writing on the wall this November. And 
What's the current Republican majority now that Tom Swazi won that special election in New York three? Is it five, four? Uh, I think we're at three right now. But as we've said over and over, that depends on the day. So any sort of delayed flight or anything like that can upend House votes, which eats up more time and will continue to reinforce the narrative of a do nothing Congress. And we've also seen, at least I feel like on some Senate retirements during the Trump era, once someone announces they're going to retire, they feel liberated to speak out against the party that sort of hamstrung them uh, in recent years. Mitt Romney's a good example, Bob Corker, Jeff Flake, you know. <laughs> and so we have here in the House, like Ken Buck has become pretty outspoken, you know, and I, I, can, I bet Mike Gallagher will probably talk some shit on the way out the door as well, uh, despite uh, formerly being a reliable Trumpy vote uh, in the House caucus. Uh, Abby, thank you so much for uh, bringing the darkness on this uh, lovely February Tuesday. And a good morning to everyone. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Ben Landy here with Lauren Sherman. Hey, Lauren, how are you? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, it was great to see you in New York the other week, and uh, you just got back to LA a couple days ago, right? And now I'm <laughs> flying out again tomorrow. It's just oh this God. jet set lifestyle. It's incredible. You're flying all around the world to check out fashion shows. Uh, sounds uh, sounds fun, a little bit tiring, but l- l- let's talk about um, New York Fashion Week. Uh, I know it was couple days ago now, but I'm interested in all the gossip about Zach Posen getting the creative director gig at Gap. And, and we'll get into all of that. But um, but first of all, what what was the number one show or highlight from your trip besides, uh, besides oh the puck God. party at the Golden Swan? It was definitely the puck party. <laughs> number it's, two highlight from your trip. Number two highlight. What show was really, you know, honestly, the show that was the most exciting was Mark Jacobs, which happened on February 2nd, a week before, essentially a week before New York Fashion Week started. Mark Jacobs does not show on the New York Fashion Week official calendar. He hasn't for several years. And as many people who are listening to this know, he his company's owned by LVMH and he has a lot of backing and, and a lot of support from Bernard Arnault. He was the creative director of Louis Vuitton for many, many years. And so Arnaud sort of owes him and he kind of does things in his own way. And I would say that that looked like the best show, the one that I didn't get to see because I wasn't there. But overall, you know, they were good. Tom Brown ended the week and he does a really sort of fantastical over the top presentation every year. This time it was the whole theme of the the show was the Raven, the poem by Edgar Allan Poe and Carrie Coons from the show. Oh, that's, the, that's right. Gilded Age. Yes. Carrie Coon from the Gilded Age. She's was, fantastic. She narrated her. it. Unfortunately, she wasn't there. I also love her. Her and Tracy Letts, great power couple. But it was fantastic. Queen Latifah came. Janet Jackson came. It was a, a really interesting mix. Tom Brown got acquired by Xenia in 2018. And Xenia is a public company on the New York Stock Exchange. And it generates, the Tom Brown brand generates like, I think last year, like $350 million in revenue. It's still a pretty small 
brand, but he is sort of living the American dream. His company got bought. He made a lot of money. He still controls the design process. I went up to his studio in the garment district and he said, you know, it's 90% of the way it was prior to the acquisition of how he manages it all. And just the construction and the ideas around his clothes are are really interesting. And it was a great way to end the, a, a strong commercial week, I would say. Right now I had, I had coffee with a a retail executive earlier in the week. And, and they were saying that this is a very in between time and fashion. We're mm-hmm. coming, we're still coming out of the sort of extravagant Alessandro Michele Demna era of fashion that was sort of big and bold and crazy clothes. And, and we haven't gone into the new era of crazy clothes. So we're sort of in between and people are calling it quiet luxury, but it's sort of more, I'd say a holding pattern. And, what I saw mostly on the runway was stuff that looked like pieces buyers would want to buy. It felt very AI generated, really nice stuff. Nothing that nothing offensive, but but sort of pat. Yeah, you wrote that there were some disappointing shows, or at least like kind of underwhelming shows that sort of underscored how hard it is, especially if you're one of these legacy brands to reinventing yourself, uh, which is something you have to do year after year after year. Did it feel like a little bit of a a letdown, some of these companies, some of these brands? Yeah, I would say that people come into New York Fashion Week just assuming they're going to be disappointed. And they have, for, for the better part of the last 10 years, the 10 years prior were a really exciting time in American fashion with young designers coming up and getting these big jobs at houses. And the last 10 years has been a sort of down to earth experience for many of them. And you you can't expect much. Most of these businesses are pretty small and the big businesses like a coach, huge business. I used to really drag those collections. The coach Stuart Beavers, who is, has been their design director for more than a decade. He's done a really good job with the business. He designs stuff that people want to buy. They sell it well at full price. They sell it well at off price. And his collections every season, you kind of go in thinking, oh, he's, he's not really going to say anything. And he doesn't, it's not, it's not really about that, but he delivers the goods that they need. So it's all about managing your expectations, I think. Well, let's talk about a company that is uh, delivering a lot of goods, $8 billion a year in sales, but um, not the most exciting company around. And that is Gap Inc., the parent company that oversees Old Navy and Gap, Athleta, Banana Republic. Just the other week, Zach Posen was put in charge of creative at Gap Inc. I, I guess it's like sort of a, a creative consultant. <laughs> Tell me about that because you, you were surprised by this appointment. And I know you've been sort of gossiping about it with people when you were in New York Fashion Week. What, what's the response been like? Like, you know, for, for a guy who most people are probably familiar with Posen from product runway and he had his own fashion line, which sort of went belly up a couple years ago. What's he been up to and what is the logic for this gig? Oh man. I mean, first of all, he is, he does have a broader job across Gap Inc where he is, I think his title is VP of creative and he's essentially going to be a consultant to Richard Dixon, who is the new CEO as of last August, but he is also the chief creative officer of Old Navy which is a huge seven, $8 billion a year in sales business. It is giant. It is the second largest seller of apparel in the U.S. 
So it's, it's a, a really big task and is not something that someone who is predominantly known for making formal gowns you'd think would be put in charge of every single person I've talked to from big box retail people to high end people have just been like, this is totally insane. I think the reason he got this job is Richard Dixon seems to like talent. He seems to be excited by celebrity and anything that will bring attract attention. And Zach is talented. He's smart. He's charming. And he also did work at Brooks brothers for six years. His, the business, Mm -hmm. Yeah. when he was there did not perform well, but he does understand, you know, what a merchandising plan looks like or whatever. So he's not coming in totally blind, but the general feeling was this is not the right person for this job. And, and, you know, maybe they'll all prove us wrong. And actually that would be a much better story than what I think is going to happen, which is that six months from now, he's going to quietly wind down the partnership or, or what have you. But people were just sort of flabbergasted. And and I think one of the big mix-ups in the communications has been that people think he's going to be managing the Gap brand design day-to-day, which he is not. But because the, the group parent company is called Gap Inc., it's been confusing for people. And I do think that's a big distinction. He, to me, would have been best what they also own Banana Republic on that brand, which is more formal, more workwear. He knows how to cut a nice dress. That would have made a lot more sense to me. Why Dixon gave him this bigger role. I think Dixon really feels like he needs thought partners and he's good at execution, but maybe not at the big idea. And he's going to be relying on Zach for this. And he's moving to San Francisco, but he was in New York last week. I know someone that saw him at San Ambrose. But he would have been at Fashion Week when he was doing his his main line. You know, it was one of the bigger shows at Fashion Week, especially in the early days. And then it sort of declined as the business declined and also started to realize that maybe this was just a fancy dress business, which is not a real business. And, and so it was the most shocking thing that I think I've ever seen happen. And I've seen some crazy things. You made a really good point in your reporting on this the other week that you'd assume that innovation at the Gap or, or Gap Inc. rather would come from changes in strategy, not yeah. design. And and Zach Posen, I mean, seems like a great guy. You know, I, I've always liked the stuff I've seen from him, but like, I presume his background is not in like manufacturing or logistics, like a lot of things that you have to think about when you're dealing with fast fashion at incredible scale. I mean, you know, Old Navy's competing with Amazon and Walmart, not uh, other boutique dressmakers. No, and Shein. And yeah, I talked to actually talked to a couple of supply chain people about it afterwards. And that's a that's a place where Gap has really just lagged compared to all the fast fashion players and also many of their competitors. And it just feels like it feels like a Band-Aid, especially a Band-Aid for someone the Band-Aid is someone who has no experience or track record doing anything like this. And I think when you zoom out, you'd see that someone like a Jenna Lyons, who was at J.Crew and was integral to the success of J.Crew during the Obama years when they had a really great run, would have been a better fit for something like this. She has taste and She's a creative person, but she also understands how to sell clothes. And I know that she definitely talked to Gap. I don't know how far those those conversations went, but it did feel like to me, oh, 
is this sort of a, we couldn't get Jenna Lyons, so let's get another famous designer. And again, I hope that they prove me wrong. That will be way more fun to report on than if this just sort of dissolves into nothing. But you see a lot of weird creative director appointments, but this one was, I, I did not see it coming, that's for sure. I know that Zach was looking for some, a big job, but that's all I knew. And I didn't think he would get this one. Well, he seems like a smart guy. He's, he's charming. He's uh, clearly ambitious. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what he does there. Presumably Dixon sees something in him. And uh, I guess we'll have to wait to see too. Lauren, thanks, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Ben. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.